two weeks ago when we launched into this sermon series, I mentioned that there would be some Sundays where, where some of you would think that I had said too much, that I crossed the line that pastors just shouldn't cross. And, and on those same Sundays, some of you might think, well, he didn't say enough, he didn't go far enough. And I'm having a feeling that this sermon might, might be one of those sermons. And yet, I'm hoping that as we we talk through our call to engage uncomfortable conversations, that we wouldn't tune something out simply because we disagree or or simply because it's hard to hear or something that we we don't want to hear. Now, I can ensure you, uh, with all that has happened in our country uh, in this last week, that, that this sermon was not an easy one for me to engage with. It wasn't easy for me to write. I read this last week that a part of the role of a pastor or the role of a preacher in today's world is to speak hard, even unpopular truths that don't change according to culture and in one way or another have the potential to offend every culture. So as I prepare these sermons during this season, that's the sort of tension that I'm feeling. Over the last couple weekends, I've mentioned that the way in which we engage, the way that we engage is at least as important as what we engage. And so last week we we talked through engaging uncomfortable conversations within the church, within our own communities. And, And the reality that we need to learn to disagree in a healthy and loving manner amongst ourselves. And a part of the reason we need to do that is because it's a witness to the rest of the world. So as our neighbors and our community, as they look on, are we really a church that loves one another well? Do we respect each other even when we get to places of disagreement? Today, we're moving beyond engaging what happens inside the church to engaging what happens outside the rest of the world, which is really where we're going to be in the next few weeks through the rest of this series. Now, I can't pinpoint the first time I had that, that kind of feeling in my gut where I just, I just looked around at something that was happening and thought, ah, ah, this, this just isn't right. Now, I'm guessing most of us have had that sort of feeling at one point or another in our lives. The first time when I had that feeling was, was probably before I was even old enough to express what I was feeling. Maybe my sister or one of my older cousins took something from me that was rightfully mine. I thought, ah, oh, this just isn't right. Maybe my parents or grandparents said no, and in my mind it wasn't fair. But because I didn't have the language, all I could do was scream. Maybe it was a, a teacher in elementary school that, that, that just didn't understand. But, but I do remember sometime around late elementary school or, or early middle school, as my, my safe suburban bubble began to expand just a little bit, I remember looking around at homelessness in the city where I grew up or, or at living conditions of, in, of communities that were right beyond the, the U.S. border and thinking, oh, this just isn't right. Now, at some point, hopefully as I matured, my understanding of right and wrong, of justice and injustice. It shifted from being something that was just about me to something that was bigger. That's not to say that we don't experience wrongdoings or or personal attacks as an adult. Uh, We do, from bosses, from authority figures, 
from family members, you name it. Yes, we, we do still suffer injustices against us personally as adults. But with life experience, as our bubble begins to expand, hopefully we begin to see our own situations within a bigger system, within a bigger picture. And for those of us who, who follow Jesus, along with that life experience, our worldview is shaped and challenged as we grow in an understanding of Scripture and we begin to apply it to our everyday life. One of the ways that we are invited to apply God's word to our everyday life is by the way we're called and invited to engage in justice. It's a a tangible way we get to participate in bringing God's kingdom to the places where we live. But, But what do we actually mean in the church when we talk about justice? Justice for whom? Justice in in what form? So the the first passage that we read from the book of Micah answers some of those questions around justice. What does it look like in what form for whom? Micah was a a prophet whose ministry took place in a fascinating time in history. The northern and and southern kingdoms, Israel and Judah, they they were mostly getting along. They had split, but they were mostly getting along, and both of them were experiencing a good amount of prosperity. The rest of the known world looked to them and thought, you know what, those places are thriving. They're strongholds. They're, they're, they're examples we want to follow, examples of growth and success. But internally, they were crumbling. They're absolutely falling apart. There was a growing gap between the poor and the wealthy. There, there, there were people who were in power who were abusing it often. And idolatry was on the rise, so so folks would take uh, they would take the Mosaic Law and they would they would twist it into something it was not to to kind of fit their own narrative and their own purpose. Now, along with with Amos and Isaiah, Micah saw the writing on the wall, and, and these three prophets, the words were were essentially, "If something doesn't change, we are going to crumble." Now, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say it's where a lot of people sit in our country today. The deep divide that we experience, the anxiety that's just always there, the vitriol, whatever you want to call it, it's causing a lot of damage, both for those who are in the church and for those who don't go to church. Something has to change. It's why these uncomfortable conversations around injustice are needed. It's why they're important. And yet Micah also gives this constant reminder that in the middle of injustice, in the middle of a people's disobedience, that God is consistent, that God is sovereign, that God is a God of hope. So when we get to the chapter that Sarah read, or what Sarah read out of Micah chapter 6, Micah moves from reminding his listeners of God's faithfulness throughout history to asking questions around how God's people should respond to God's faithfulness. So, so he, he turns to Deuteronomy chapter 10 uh, and, and kind of reflects on that where Moses asked God to forgive his people after they get caught in idolatry, get caught worshiping a golden calf. God forgives them after Moses pleads with God. And, and then Moses responds with, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul. That should sound familiar to us. So so Micah asks the question, 
How are God's people supposed to respond to unrest, to outrage in the land? How, how are they supposed to respond? To act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. To act justly. To do justice. The Hebrew word used here is, is the word mishpat, and it, it answers the question around what God's people were supposed to do with the covenant that they had been given. They were called to respond to the blessing that God had given them with this ethic, with this way of life that looked out for others and worked toward repairing broken parts of society, broken relationships, broken systems. And so Micah, he essentially says, we know about the growing gap between those who have and those who don't have. We all know about the abuse of the powerful, and we all know about the idolatry. And judgment is coming for those who contribute to those things. But that judgment, that's God's doing, not yours. Your job is to respond with mishpah. Your job is to do justice. For a lot of us, living out this sort of mishpat ethic, if you will, it takes a bit of an imagination and an uncomfortable amount of empathy. It's looking to the oppressed in our own society and listening, even when we can't relate to them. Or maybe even when our first gut response is to argue. It's living into our value as a church at WPC of seeing all people created in the image of God. Sometimes it's even laying aside our rights to stand with someone else and and to work toward their well-being and their wholeness. We begin to experience this mishpat when we we, we think of something around the world and we say, ah, that just isn't right. And then we're driven to do something about it. It could be as small as seeing a piece of trash on the ground and saying, ah, that's not right, I'm going to pick that up. Or as big as looking at the food inequality and giving monthly to a farm or to a food bank so another family can have food on their table. At its core, it's this, this personal conviction as we live into our communal call to work toward making our society more just. To love mercy. The Hebrew word used here is, is hesed. It's one of the harder words to translate into English, but the simplest way to summarize it is to, to be kind and to be pleasant. Mishpah, justice, paired with hesed, mercy, kindness, they go hand in hand with one another. It gets to something of what I said earlier about having imagination and empathy as we approach others and learn to be in a community with people who don't look like us, who don't have the same experience that we do. The other day, all three of our kids were playing in the living room, and one of them fell off the couch and, of course, started screaming and crying. And I came running from the other room while another sibling was was standing above the the child on the ground, uh, absolutely laughing at the child on the ground, and I lost it. It really may have been the loudest I've ever yelled at my kids. I thought that the one who was on the floor was was badly hurt, so I started playing the worst case scenarios over and over in my head. But but, but the reality is, the the child on the ground was was totally fine. And, And the one who was standing above the child laughing was trying to make the one on the ground 
feel better by telling jokes and laughing. I didn't actually see any of it unfold. I was in the other room. I didn't see the whole picture, but I still came in and yelled. I came in to fix something that I thought wasn't right, but I didn't really understand. Now, I may have been driven by the right motives, but my delivery was awful. I lacked hesed. I lacked mercy, kindness. Now, it's incredibly important we engage in justice in today's world, but when we lack mercy, we run the risk of not stopping to get a better grasp or, or to see the complete picture, the whole story. It's what drives so much of the, the back and forth of, of misinformation and half-truths that, that's shared all over social media. Hesed. The third way Micah invites us to engage in this restorative work of God's kingdom is by walking humbly with God. Now, in the Hebrew language, walking is this this idiom for doing life with one another. It's lifestyle. To walk humbly with God is to have faith be evident in every area of life, in both the extraordinary uh, uh, tasks and, and the ordinary day today. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. So when we see injustice in our world, when it's obvious that there's just things aren't right, that's our response. That's how we are called to engage. We see an illustration of how engaging in this way looks in one of Jesus's most well-known parables. An expert of the law asks Jesus what what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, well, what does it say in Scripture? You you know this. You're you're the religious person. You know it. And and the man, he he rattles off the line that that every devout Jewish person in Jesus's day would have had memorized. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, But the man, he, he wants to find a hole a loophole in, in Jesus's uh, question and, and in scripture to, to fit his own worldview. He's trying to take scripture and fit it into his own worldview. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus picks up this starting in Luke chapter 10. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he he took out two denarii and and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the pastor or the priest sees something that just isn't right. A man lying on the ground, beaten. He, he walks right by. Actually, he doesn't walk right by. He goes out of his way to avoid him, to avoid the injustice. The Levite, who, who would be like an elder or a deacon in our, in our context, does the exact same thing. But the Samaritan, a, a person who, who the expert of the law would have really seen to be kind of at the bottom of, of the rung, the scum of the earth, that person engaged. He acts justly and he walks toward the man. He shows mercy. And kindness as he bandages wounds and puts the man onto his own donkey. He he literally walks the man to an inn and then pays to restore the broken man to wholeness. That's what it looks like to engage in justice. It's uncomfortable. It comes at a cost. It actively looks for those who are on the margins and seeks to make things right. And it involves risks. So so my challenge and encouragement for us this week is to look for the places where things just aren't right. In all honesty, in today's world, you don't have to look that hard. And when we see those places, to go there, to engage, to act justly, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would break our hearts for what break yours. And God, help us to have the courage to look for the the places of injustice in our own neighborhoods, in our own communities, as as well as as in the rest of the world, Lord, and to engage those places, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.